As we come into the summer, I guess today marks the official start of summer for us in Bethesda, right? Um, in the next three months, Anthony Lind and Matt Magnus and myself are going to be preaching through the book of Judges. Uh, in the next two weeks, Matt will be here. Um, next week, it'll be chapter three. But as we get into the book of Judges, I wanted to make sure that we knew, we kind of understood how we got to this point in history. Uh, leading up, it helps provide some context, help provide some understanding. Hopefully by the end of the summer, if you've been tuning in or you've been here in person to, to hear us as we walk through the, the book of Judges, you have a good idea how it all kind of fits together. It's not just random stories that you remember from your childhood or from Sunday school or from whatever it is, but you have a better understanding how it fits together. In Genesis, and, and here's the quick, the quick uh, summary here leading up to Judges. In Genesis, the first 11 chapters, it's kind of the history of all mankind and how we get to that point. From Genesis chapter 12 on, we see that it's the history of Israel. Genesis was written at Mount Sinai. Uh, their history was given to give, them, to give the people of Israel kind of a sense of who they are after coming out of Egypt. Chapter 21, well, in chapter 12, we see the calling of Abraham. In chapter 21, we see the birth of the son of promise, Isaac, when, when Abraham is 100 and his wife, Sarah, is 90. And so Isaac is born, the son of promise. Isaac has two boys, twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob is the one whom God chooses to advance his chosen people. Jacob gets his name changed to Israel is where we get the Israelites from. It's a name change to signify a kind of a difference of not so much calling, but a change of, of focus for Jacob. You're no longer just living for yourself. This is the plan I have for you going forward. In chapters 29 through 37, we see and we're introduced to Jacob's 11 sons. And if you, you know, I know we, different families have varying degrees of dysfunction in which we work through and deal with. Jacob, you know, if you think your life is hard, kind of look at the family of Jacob and, and what, what that was like. His, his favorite son. His favorite son is Joseph. Joseph is the oldest son of his favorite wife. He had four. Well, he had two wives and two he didn't bother to marry. They just kind of became his. And, but Joseph knows he's the favorite, and he behaves like he's the spoiled favorite. And that gets him in a lot of hot water with these brothers who eventually, they, they change a plan from we're going to murder him to we'll just sell him into slavery so if somebody else kills him, fine by us. We didn't do it. Someone else did. And so Jacob is sold into, Jacob, Joseph is sold into slavery, ends up in Egypt, ends up with a pretty good gig as a slave, all things considered, only to lose that due to false accusations. He ends up in prison. But from there, we see the sovereign and providential hand of God place him in the second most powerful position in all of Egypt. 
Egypt was the most powerful country in the world at the time, and he is second only to Pharaoh. And you could argue that he became the most powerful man in the world because he controlled the world's food supply. His family comes to Egypt looking for food. They're reunited. They're reconciled. They take up residence there. And for the next 400 years, that's where they are. Somewhere along the line, and, and history isn't real clear how it happens and, and, and when it exactly happened, but whether it was a coup or what, but the, the dynasty in place when, when Joseph was ruling was changed. And, and the next group, the next family took over Egypt and they, they were fearful of the, the Hebrew people and their growing influence and their size. And so they were enslaved. And we don't know exactly how many years they served as slaves in Egypt. We know that they spent 400 years there. And God raises up a man called Moses. We meet him in the book of Exodus. And Moses leads the people out. And they cross the Red Sea and they end up at Mount Sinai. And I think I mentioned already where, where Genesis is written and the book of Leviticus is written there to, to inform the people how to live and what is the proper and right way that God expects his people to worship and honor him. In the book of Numbers, we see the history and, and, and record keeping of what some of the things that were going on at that time. In chapter 13 of Numbers, we see that it's about a Two years after leaving Egypt, they come to the land of Canaan, the land of promise, the, the, the land that was promised to, to Abraham 400 years, 500 years prior. And they come to the land and they send out 12 spies, one individual from each tribe of Israel. And they all come back and they all say the same thing. This place is awesome. It is everything that we've been expecting it to be. Our herds and our flocks will never want for grass. The grazing is amazing, all right? I don't know if there's a rhyme in Hebrew for that. Dan will let me know later. But uh, it's unbelievable the amount of grass that's there for our livestock. And what's more, the, the farm ground, the cultivated ground is fertile. And they had grapes from the vineyards there that it took two guys to carry these giant clusters of grapes. It's the natural resource, it's beyond our wildest dreams. It is incredible. And everybody's all excited. Okay, let's go, let's go, let's go, except for 10 of these spies. I said, but here's the issue. It's awesome. However, compared to the folks that are living there, we are nothing. We're like grasshoppers that are going to get squished as soon as we go in to take it. They're bigger, they're badder, they're meaner, they're tougher, they're everything, and they ain't letting go of it easily. So let's just go back to Egypt. And Joshua and Caleb, two spies, stood up and said, whoa, 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 everything they said is true. They are bigger and badder and meaner. However, God has promised this land to us and God will deliver it to us. Let's go in in obedience and trust and faith. And the folks said, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, we'll go back to Egypt. And so what God did, he says, all right, I'm not sending you back to Egypt. I'm sending you back into the Arabian desert. And there for the next 38 some years, you are going to, for a total of 40 years in the desert, but for the next 38 years or so, you're just going to 
You're going to hang out, and this generation of doubting, fearful people are going to die off, and the next generation will receive my promise. So that's where they went. In the book of Deuteronomy, we see it's, it's Moses' last message, his last words to the people of Israel. He's led them for 40 years, and he's reminding them, this is the, this is the stuff you need to know, you need to remember, you need to do. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, just before Moses, shortly before Moses goes up on the mountain to, to die, where God was going to hide his body so it wouldn't be a place that the Israelites would be tempted to come back to and worship, Moses says these words, chapter 30, 11 through 20. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it behind the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you can do it. See, I've set before you today life and death, good and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, and you shall live and multiply. The Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, if you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today you shall surely perish. You will not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of days, that you may dwell in the land of the Lord, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Moses wraps it up. He goes up on the mountain and Joshua, who is one of the two faithful spies, two obedient men, the two who are trusting God to deliver the land some 40 years prior. He is, the mantle of leadership is passed from Moses to Joshua. And in the book of Joshua, we see him lead the folks, lead the people of Israel and conquering the land and taking it over as God had promised Abraham some 400 some years earlier. And in Joshua chapter 24, it's 30 years later and Joshua's at the end of his life and he's ready to die and he knows it and he understands it. And in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, we have verses, if you've grown up in church, almost everybody's got some quote somewhere in their house or on a plaque or somewhere. But this is what Joshua challenges the people of Israel with. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
And he puts it out there. And it goes on, it says, and the people say, hey, we're with you, Joshua. We're going to serve God. We're going to follow him. We're going to obey him. And there we come to the book of Judges. And in Judges chapter 1, verse 1, we see, After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah will go up. Behold, I've given the land into his hand. And so they go up, and all the nation of Israel fights, and they take the land that was there for, allotted to Judah, their inheritance. And they go through, and we see that in the first part of chapter 1, how, how they go up. However, we see not the idol worship, not the blatant disregard for God, but we see just the hedging as we get into verse 27 of chapter 1. And eight times throughout the rest of this chapter, we see the words, they did not. Manasseh did not. Ephraim did not. Zebulun did not. Asher did not. Naphtali did not. The people of Dan did not. They did not what? They did not completely and utterly destroy and drive out the peoples that were inhabiting the land. They did not. They got 90% of the way there and they just, oh, we're tired. It's time for a breather. It's time to catch my breath. The rest will take care of itself. I don't know if everybody's this way, I'm this way. I get 90% job done with a job or a task. And it seems like the last 10% is more daunting than the first 90. And so it's real easy. Well, I'll ignore that. I'll overlook it. And Don will tell you as a builder, you never move into your house till it's done. Because <laughs> if you move in before it's done, it'll never be done. It just doesn't happen. It's human nature that we don't want to finish. It's good enough, close enough. And these folks did not finish the task that God had put before them to completely drive out the inhabitants of the land. Now I want to stop here and I want to condense into like five minutes. I don't get I won't get it done in five. But I want to condense into like five or ten minutes, which should take two weeks realistically. And trying to answer the question, how does a loving God command his people to go in and just utterly destroy the peoples of this region? And it's something I've got answered in my mind and in my heart. It's not that I haven't doubted it or wrestled with this in the past, but uh, there's a lead singer of a Christian band who recently announced that he was no longer a Christian. He no longer believed in God. And one of his reasons for that was he could not reconcile in his mind a malicious, vindictive, murdering God that he finds in Joshua and Judges with the kind, loving, forgiving, gracious God he reads about in the New Testament. And so rather than wrestle with this or continue to wrestle, he just, I'm pitching it. There can't be a God. This is too big a hurdle for me to get over. And if we're honest, at some point, we probably wrestle with this. Maybe we wrestle with it now, but I'll just, 
I'll, <laughs> I won't think about it because I don't want to wrestle with it. I don't want to seem like I have doubts. I don't, want to, I don't want anybody to know that I don't have this figured out. And if you don't have it figured out, you can raise your hand with me because there's parts of it that I'm comfortable with. Well, no, <laughs> not comfortable with. But I've, I've come to a place <laughs> of trust and comfort that some things I just won't get. And that's okay. I don't have to have all the answers for somebody else. I don't necessarily have to have it all figured out in my own mind. But, you know, there are much smarter, much wiser, much godlier men who have spent tons of time and can explain this much better than I. But let me, let me do my best to condense it and how I've come to peace with this. One is this, God's character is unchanging. And we see this several times throughout scripture. In Malachi, we read that, you know, God is speaking to his people, say, you know, you're changing and you're, you're doing different things and, and instead of following the line that I laid out for you, you're doing this and you're going here and you're back. He says, but I, the Lord, I do not change. In Hebrews, we read that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And what we know is this, and in trying to put, I guess, a theological slant or trying to understand God, we, we, we have to somewhat put him in a box to help us get our heads wrapped around it or to see the picture. And God's character is unchanging. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of creation, from eternity past to eternity future, his character does not change. But the way he works, he chooses not to limit himself, but he'll work in a certain way at a certain time. And in the Old Testament, what we see here, Isaiah, he, he lamented, he, he cried out to God because he didn't understand why you would use more wicked, more evil people to punish your people. We aren't nearly as bad as the folks are sinning. Why would, we, why would you do that, God? In Isaiah 55, 6 through 9, We're called to seek the Lord while he may be found. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. My ways are higher, my thoughts are deeper. And there are some things we just can't get. We don't understand because we don't, we don't have a mind that understands infinity. <laughs> we don't have a mind that understands eternity. We're told that God puts eternity in the hearts of men. There's something there that longs and and expects there to be more than what we just see around us. That doesn't mean that our minds are capable of comprehending that one day in eternity. But as of now, we just, we trust that God knows what he's talking about, that God is good, that God is going to do what he's going to do. And it's to advance his kingdom In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, we know that God says 
that he is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I get, try to reconcile that with, well, then if he's willing that none should perish, why go in and wipe everybody out and remove the opportunity? But it was a number of years ago as I was reading through scriptures, and, and this is the thing that I fall back on over and over and over and over again. As we are called to know and to understand and to teach the whole counsel of God. Genesis through Revelation. It's not just for a pastor to know and figure out and then help us understand. That's part of his role. It's our responsibility as Christ followers to know and to understand and to study the whole counsel of God. And as we commit ourselves to that, the Holy Spirit reveals to us and shows us, oh, that's how this fits or how this makes more sense or how this this is going to work. And a number of years ago, I'm reading in the book of Genesis, and I get to Genesis chapter 15. And maybe you remember, that is where God sets his covenant with Abraham. And I won't go through all that. You can read it. It is a tremendous story. God is doing all the work. And again, it, shows, it goes to God's character. His unchanging character. God always does the work. We just either go along with it or reject it. But God is working. And he tells Abram, Abraham, he says, listen, everywhere you've set your foot, where you're residing, this is yours. This is for your future Um, family for the future generations of your family line to possess and to own and to take and to call their own. This is yours, however, not yet. This is because the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its completion. Other translations say because the sin of the Amorites has not been, uh, is not yet filled or is not yet full. And I remember when I read that, and I'd read it before, and it's just in one ear and out the other, in your head, bounce around and leave. It suddenly struck me that the gracious, forgiving, long-suffering, and patient God that we see in the New Testament has always been that way. Because four to 500 years before this time, Abraham's told, you can't yet have this because these folks still have opportunity to repent and do the right thing. This wasn't just wanton murder. It wasn't just genocide as one people was taking over another land that it wanted. This is God's wrath and judgment poured out on people, on nations that have wantonly and willfully rejected him for years and years and years and years. And that's why in Isaiah 55 and throughout other places in scripture we see seek the Lord while he may be found because there comes a point when God says you've rejected me and you've rejected me and you rejected me and you rejected me and that's it you had your opportunity there won't be another one In Leviticus chapter 20, I believe, we, we see some of the sins of the Canaanites listed 
as God is warning his people, don't worship me like they worship their gods. Don't do the things in your communities that they do within theirs. If you want to know some of the things that was leading up to this judgment and this wrath that was going to be poured out on them for the rejection of him. But at the end of the day, there's six words we find in Scripture in four, maybe five different places that truly, they're all that matter in light of this. And I know that if you're dead set, okay, it doesn't make sense. I still don't know why God would do that. that that's where you're at right now. That's okay. If, if you're committed to these six words, and we find these in Habakkuk 2 verse 4, we find them in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. If it's repeated four times, it must be important. The just shall live by faith. Or the righteous will live by faith. At some point, even though there's stuff in here that I don't get, that I may not be entirely comfortable with, that I don't know how to answer or make sense of in my own head, let alone to explain to somebody else, that's okay. If you are committed to living by faith, I take this word as God's word, and I'm going to trust him to be right and holy and pure and good, and while I don't get it, I'm going to trust him to be those things. I'm going to choose to live by faith. You say that sounds simplistic. It is. Nothing about this book, there's very little about this book that's easy, but it's simple. The just shall live by faith. Who will I trust? Who will I believe? Who will I follow? So in the book of Judges, what we have, it's a time frame. It's about 300 years. I went 11 minutes on that. Two weeks condensed to 11 minutes, Anthony. So in any case, the book of Judges covers... 300 to 350 years, I'm not going to argue about those details. If you want 297, knock yourself out, I'm good with that. Um, the judges that we read about, the, the events that occur, are not necessarily in chronological order. Um, they may be, this may have happened, you know, what we read about at first may have happened later on, and, and I, don't, I don't know any way of knowing that for certain, so I don't, I spend like that much time trying to figure that out. In the grand scheme of things, in eternity, it doesn't matter. These are events that took place. Some of these judges, the characters that we will be, the, well, not just characters, but real life, these are historical figures that, that we'll be studying in the, in the next three months. Some of their, their life, their times, their, their uh, leadership overlapped each other. It wasn't like you had one and then another and it just went right down the list. There was some overlap. None of these were really... The closest to a national leader that we find in Judges would be Samson. 
But most of these guys, and, and he really wasn't a national leader. He just kind of became the face of folks. But most of these were more regional leaders that God raised up, that in this part of Israel they were being oppressed. And so God raised up an individual to relieve pressure here. And then maybe at the same time or overlapping, there was another part of the country that was facing pressure due to disobedience. They weren't necessarily religious or spiritual leaders. God raised them up to deliver the people from the oppression of the enemies that they did not fully drive out before them. And in Judges, I almost said Joshua, in Judges chapter 1, we see that the folks don't really forsake Yahweh but they don't really fully obey him either. And so that takes us into chapter 2. And we see in verse, the end of verse 1 going into verse 2, the Lord said, I will never break my covenant with you. My covenant, my promises are going to remain. And you will make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed. God's covenant remains even though his people were unfaithful and disobedient. He says, I will continue to call you back to myself. I will continue to reach out to you. I will continue to call you to greater obedience. However, you have wandered away from me. I haven't gone anywhere. You have wandered away. And in verse 6 through 10, you see that Joshua dismisses the people. The people of Israel each went to his inheritance to take possession of the land, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. And so in the transition, something failed to make the connection. Something failed to get passed on. And 20, 30 years ago when I was much younger, I blamed it all on the older generation. They failed to do their job and so nobody knew what to do when they came up. And there's something to that. Had there been full obedience, perhaps the younger generation would have seen, oh, this is all worth following and pursuing. But we come to the first of three things that I want us to see and come back to week after week after week this summer as we go through the book of Judges. Every generation must choose. And when I was young, that was very much reassuring to me because it's not dependent on my family history. I'm not locked in. And I think of Tony Haug, who has any number of, of members of his church in Shimonoseki, Japan, 
who are the first in thousands and thousands of years of history, going back to the time of Christ, they are the first to follow Christ. They aren't locked into a family history. God doesn't say because your folks did this and your grandparents did this and your great-grandparents did this, well, that's where you're locked in. Every generation must choose. And that's reassuring. And last week when we had the, the, the baptism service and we heard the testimonies of eight individuals, seven of which did not grow up in church, who didn't have faithful, godly family members to look to, by and large, to show them the way and to teach them and to encourage them in obedience. And the hope and the life and the blessing that comes when you choose to follow Christ and then begin to set the precedent for the next generation. But the at 47, 48, 47, wherever I'm at now, at some point you forget, right? And then you got to do the math, if you can remember how. At some point, the whole thing that every generation must choose becomes a scary thing. Because I can't choose for my kids. I can't choose for my future grandkids. So I take it seriously, my job, my role to teach and to model and to encourage godly living, to do it consistently in my life, not just show up at church on Sunday because it's something we do, but then tomorrow morning or, tomorrow, or even this afternoon when everything falls apart or something stupid happens. I don't lose my mind and everything that I say here goes out the window. But that I live it consistently and model it so my kids can see that it is possible to live a good and godly life by the grace of God and the help and the work of his Holy Spirit in us and through us. It's a two-way street. We see this throughout scriptures. But in the book of Judges, we're going to be looking at this and coming back to this this summer over and over and over again. Every generation must choose. I'm responsible for my choices. I don't choose for my folks. I don't choose for my children. I choose for me. And I choose today. And then tomorrow, I choose for that day. Who will I follow? What will I believe? And whom will I trust? Every generation must choose. In verse 12 of chapter 2, they abandon the Lord, the God of their fathers. Verse 13, they abandon the Lord and serve the Baals and the Ashtaroth, idols and false gods, corrupt systems of worship involving unbelievable, almost unspeakable acts of immorality and violence. And at the end of verse 15, it says, and they were in terrible distress. They chose disobedience. And in choosing disobedience, 
They chose the consequences and the cursing and the terrible things that came with it. However, in verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. And this is the second thing that we're going to be coming back to and looking at this summer in the book of Judges is that God calls unexpected leaders. Almost every time in the book of Judges, it's not the individuals that you would expect. Again, there's exceptions. But most of these folks were more than content to just go along, to get along, and hope that somebody else would come along to do the heavy lifting. And yet we see God calling unexpected leaders. And again, I've said it, I I wasn't the first to say it. I wish I was. But uh, I'm just the next one to say it. I don't know how many times I've heard it from others. But the ones that, the one that God calls is the one that God equips. And we see that in the book of Judges. As he's calling these unexpected leaders, many of which nobody's looking to for anything. God equips them with the knowledge and the wisdom and the power to do what they need to do when they need to do it. God is doing the work. God is doing the equipping. God is doing the calling. None of these guys, none of these individuals are running to the front and say, let me, let me, let me, let me. I won't say none, very few. God calls unexpected leaders. And finally, as we read through, we see that uh, in verse 17, yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. As soon as they turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. He saved them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved by, to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers. And so just in those few short verses, we see every generation must choose. We see the one generation dies, the next one jumps ship. We see that God calls unexpected leaders, but then we also see that God can use anyone. And you say, well, how is that any different than unexpected leaders? Here's the difference. God uses the wicked and those who have nothing to do with him with zero interest in following him. God is using them to turn his people back to him. Nothing's ever wasted in God's economy. Whether it be pain or hardship or whatever it is, God is using that to direct his people back to him, to turn their hearts back to him. And God can use anyone. Even those who want nothing to do with him their entire lives. God can use them to change history and advance his kingdom. So over the next couple days, 
I encourage you to open up your Bibles to the book of Judges. Read through chapters 1 and 2. Get a better handle on the summary this morning. A better understanding, get it settled in your mind. And as we get into the, towards the weekend, I'd encourage you to to flip over and read through chapter 3. That's where Matt's going to be next week. Have an idea what we're where we're headed, where in Scripture we're going to be, give the Holy Spirit a chance to begin to work in your heart and in your mind so that you're better ready to hear what, what's going to be said next week. But I think of the, the world and the state we're in right now, our country, and just the chaos and all the things, and who knows what to believe and when to, you know. Anybody who has a voice seems like, they're suddenly an expert and they know exactly what's going on. I suppose it's always been that way, but now we have instant access to, through social media and, and everything else. I can throw my opinion out there and quote myself as an expert. And if you're anything like me, I look around, it's like, man, what can I possibly do? With all the hurt with the nonsense, with the violence, with the whatever, what can I do? And what I've been reminded of over and over and over again, just that still small voice in the back of my head, who are you gonna see today? Who will you speak to today? And what we'll see in the book of Judges It's not about this big national world leader that rises up. It appears that way as we read into it. We tend to see it that way, but really it's a a small area that's being directly impacted by these leaders that God has called. And because they were obedient, because they responded to God's call, God used them to provide relief and to bring repentance to a group of people. And so, wow, this week, who this week, to whom this week will you be God's voice? Will you show grace? Will you show understanding? Will you show mercy? And lead in that small way. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's all God-breathed, that it's all profitable for teaching and for correcting and for training in godliness. Lord God, we thank you that your character is unchanging, that it can be trusted, that your grace has always been poured out on this earth, that your grace has always been poured out on your people. Lord God, make us accurate representatives of your son. May we model his life to our children, to their friends, to our neighbors, to those we work with. In your name we pray.
We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.